Amen. Amen. Lord, it's because of you that we're here. And Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. And we ask as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would speak in a mighty and a powerful way. Lord, I know that no one's here by chance. Maybe it's the first time here, maybe invited for the wedding that's taking place later. But Lord, we know that you desire to minister to every heart. So Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us this morning. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Just so you know, I don't want anybody to be scared off next week. We've ordered 300 more chairs, okay? So there's going to be plenty of room for everybody. It just takes a while for them to get here. I don't know. And at the front two rows, are we saving those for people? Is that what's happening? Is that for the wedding or everybody afraid of me? I'm trying to understand what's going on over here. I showered. I promise. I really did. All right. Well, turn your Bibles to Jude. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Again, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. Uh, we started in Genesis 1 on Wednesday nights. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 2 this coming Wednesday. And we started in Matthew chapter 1 on Sunday mornings. And now we're in the second to last book of the New Testament. Uh, we should be in it this week and next week. And, the, and then so three weeks from now, we'll start the book of Revelation. Uh, I know a book that holds a lot of interest to people, especially in the days we're living in now. I tell you all this because if you're new this morning, I want you to know right off the bat, this is a very exhortive book. Jude, who is the brother of Jesus Christ, half-brother, right? We all understand that. Same mom, different dad, amen? We know that Mary had more children, but Jude writes this letter. He writes from a heart of great humility because he doesn't identify himself as Jude, the brother of Jesus, which I said last week, I had a t-shirt made with that on it or something, right? I mean, if Jesus is your brother, I'm thinking that's something you want everybody to know. But instead, he recognized that being a bondservant to Christ was even better than being his earthly brother. And then he began to exhort them to contend for the faith. And here's why. The church in the early days was facing a lot of false teachers. False teachers were coming in and pretending to be of the church, and they were not, they were not of the church. Do you hear this often today? I was talking to people just at work this week. You know, most of you know I have a full-time job. And I was talking to people, and they say, you know, those Christians. And they define Christians as anybody who calls himself a Christian. And you know what? That ought to be all the more reason for those of us who truly are Christians to act like it. Amen? Because they have enough bad examples of people calling themselves Christians. Well, that's nothing new. 2,000 years ago when this letter was written, there were those pretending to be Christians who were anything but Christ-like. And so this letter was written to say, look, you need to look around among you and recognize there are false teachers right in your own church. There are people that are calling themselves Christians that are preaching a false gospel. And so the real you know, focus of this short letter is to contend for the faith. Because there are false teachers, we need those to stand up for the truth. And that is still very, very true today. He gave three examples saying, look, here's why you need to pay attention. Because a small number of false teachers can lead a lot of people away from the truth. And we saw last week that, remember, he gave the three examples. One was the children of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. Remember that they got to the land of promise. God had told them to go in. They got there, and they were camped just outside, and they sent the spies in. And remember, God had said, go. And 12 spies came back. Jacob, or, or Joshua and Caleb said, hey, that land's ours, let's go get it. It's just what God said. And the other ten said, oh no, we'll be like grasshoppers. They'll crush us if we go in there. And so two million people did not obey God's word because ten people scared them. Guys, a small number can turn a large group. Then the second example, after he talked about uh, what happened in, with the, the children of Israel, is he gave the example of the angels in heaven. And remember that Satan, Lucifer, you know, first of all, Satan is not in a, red, in a red pajamas with a horn and a pitchfork. Amen? Matter of fact, we know from Scripture he was the most beautiful of all the angels. And so he appears as an angel of light. He's going to try to fool people by looking a lot like the truth. And so what happened was that Lucifer starts to say, I will, I will, I will, and he tries to overthrow Almighty God in heaven, and of course, that's not going to work, because God is greater, amen? And Satan's not even close, by the way. He's not the opposite of God, he's toast compared to God, amen? 
He's not even close. But here's the point. He tried to overthrow God, and because of him, a third of all the angels in heaven were cast out of heaven. One who decided to try to overthrow God took a third of the heavenly host. How many is that? I have no idea, but it's a big number. And they were all cast out of heaven. And then thirdly, the example he gave was Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, again, I was saying last week, hey, welcome to Calvary Chapel, eternal fire is how the last words of the text last week. But here's the reality. It's in the Bible for a reason, amen? Better to be warned about it than to experience it, amen? And so the exhortation here was, look, Sodom and Gomorrah, you had righteous Lot. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. Then he was camping you know, outside of Sodom. Before you knew it, he was dwelling in the tents. And before you knew it, he was making excuses for the sin that was taking place in that city. Sadly, that entire city, because of sexual immorality, God brought fire down upon it and smoked it. Now, some people say, well, that's not a very loving God. Where's the grace? Where's the love, man? Where's the love? Hey, guys, here's the thing. God gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to get right with God, and they chose not to. And God does the same thing today. Amen? Amen? I know it's warm, but come on. I'm, a, I'm an old youth pastor. You've got to talk back and forth, all right? I'm going to feel lonely up here if you don't. Now, here's the deal. So the same thing happens today. There are those who are false teachers, just as we're going to see in the text this morning, who go around and they have a grain of truth. They have some truth, but mixed with that truth is a lie. And as we've said before, a half-truth is a whole lie. Amen? So as we're going to continue on this morning, we're going to look at some more characteristics of a false teacher. So you can recognize them when you see them. You know, you should hold up everybody you listen to on the radio, TV, or when you're sitting in here on Sunday, you should hold it up to the Word of God. Because God's word is the authority, not the opinions of any man. Amen? One man off track is the beginning of a cult. And we need to be very, very careful that we know what the word of God says, lest we fall into that trap. So, let's pick up where we left off. Recognizing false teachers, I titled the message. First, we're going to see their characteristics, some things that they have in common. Then we're going to see that they're, they're common self-centeredness. If you ever see somebody that's teaching the Bible, and it's all about him, run. Amen? If I see the worldwide ministry of somebody with their name underneath it ever, I mean, it makes me sick. And the reality is, there's, you've heard me say it before, so I'll say it again, there's only room for one celebrity in Christianity, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Nobody else but him. So they have a common self-centeredness, and then we're going to see, finally, their coming judgment. So let's begin in verse 8, where we left off, looking at the characteristics of false teachers so the previous three verses he talked about them wandering in the wilderness in egypt missing out of land of promise then he talked to them about the angels being thrown out of heaven then he talked about sodom and gomorrah and now he's going to continue on with that thought because he says there likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries now the first thing we're going to see is the cause for the rebellion. The word there is dreamers. These false teachers live in a dream world. They're absolutely deluded. They're completely out of touch with reality. They rejected the truth and bought the, you know, bought the lies. Uh, and the sad part is that they lead other people in the same direction. They bought the lie. I truly believe this. Most false teachers really believe what they're teaching. Most of them believe it. They've bought it themselves, and they're taking other people that same direction. But they're dreamers. And you know what? They followed the same lies that Satan used to tempt Eve. Did God really say? And that's a challenge we're always going to hear. Did God really say that? Does the Bible really say that? Is the Bible really perfect? Yes, yes, and yes. Amen? The Word of God is the authority. The reason that we struggle as a church in America today is most of the church is biblically illiterate. Amen? My calling as your pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's not to be popular with you, although I hope you like me, but that's not my calling. My calling is to make sure that you're the best fed, most loved sheep in town. And to do that, I need to open up the Bible and teach the verses that say eternal fire. Amen? Teach the verses that you go, oh man, if I'd, I'd skip by that one. And I might have too. But here's the point. If we're teaching the whole Bible, we need to teach it all. Amen? 
and not be skipping over stuff. So having turned away from God's truth, they begin to feed their minds on false doctrine that inflates their egos and encourages their rebellion. So it all starts off as they're dreamers. They've got a false understanding of the truth. And this perfectly typifies one of the groups that the false teachers have been addressed in both John's letters and now in this one. I know you're sick of hearing about these guys, but the Gnostics. Gnostic means knowledge. That's why agnostic means without knowledge. Okay? means I don't know. Okay? So they were the Gnostics. They thought they had special knowledge. They thought they had heard from God. They had a special truth. And because they had a special truth, everybody had to come to them for the answers. And here was their special truth. Jesus isn't really fully God. Jesus was not always God. Jesus was not always the Messiah. The, the Messiah, the Spirit, Holy Spirit was put upon him at his baptism, taken from him before he was crucified. And then, you know what? He didn't really come in a human body. He was just kind of a phantom. Now that special truth, I got a word for that. It's a lie. Amen? But yet they began to teach this and then, that lie led them to another delusion. Here's what it was. Well, since Je- you know, Jesus came in the Spirit, it's because the flesh is wicked. And if the flesh is wicked and only the Spirit is good, then when you get saved, it's only your spirit that gets saved and your flesh stays wicked. So you might as well go out and do whatever you want to in your flesh because it's sinful anyway. And it doesn't matter because your spirit's the only part going to heaven. And you know, that sounds really appealing to somebody who wants to get out of hell free card and still wants to live like the devil all week. Amen? Well, you mean I can, do, I can do whatever I want and go to heaven still? Like, that's a good thing. By the way, the way of the transgressor is hard. Amen? Sin is, God's not keeping you from sin, you know, because he's a no-fun bummer God. He's keeping you from sin because he loves you, and he knows it will bring you harm. It's like a three-year-old saying, well, dad, my dad lets me juggle knives. I mean, your dad doesn't love you. Amen? And God doesn't want us to sin because he knows we'll be losing some fingers. Amen? God knows what's best for us. And so these false teachers were dreamers. They had a false understanding of the truth, and now they were pouring it out on everybody else, and sadly, people were buying it. And because they were buying it, this letter was written. Hey, these guys are dreamers. You need to contend for the faith. You need to look around. Just because they call themselves Christians doesn't mean they're Christians. Just because they're on Christian television doesn't make them Christians. Amen? Amen? Be very careful. Have your Bible out. Make sure they're telling the truth. So the, now, these Gnostics claim to have a deeper truth, and all they had was a great big lie. And so he says, they're dreamers. And then it says what? They defile the flesh. They defile the flesh. Why do they defile the flesh? Because in their mind, it was okay. In their mind, sin was no big deal. But Jesus said, be holy, for I am holy. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Romans says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Corinthians says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Does that say anywhere, continue in your sinful behavior, it's no big deal to God? Guys, he went to the cross because it's a very big deal. Amen? And so these dreamers were coming up, these false teachers with false doctrine were coming up with lies, drawing people away from the truth. They have lost touch with reality. They bought into the flesh-feeding false doctrine of the enemy, and the Bible says, claiming to be wise, they became as fools. So they defile the flesh. The word there in the Greek means to stain, pollute, or contaminate, to dye another color, to defile with sin. These false teachers and their followers were as impure and unholy as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah we just saw in the previous verse. Guys, as Christians, do we keep sinning? What's the answer? Yes. But as you've heard me say before, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? And as we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, sin should grieve us more and more the more mature we get in our faith. Now, we're not trying to earn salvation, but we should sin less because we've been saved. Because I'm a new creation, I should live different. I should no longer be one who defiles the flesh and thinks it's no big deal. We shouldn't have to debate whether or not sin's a big deal. Sin absolutely is. 
What happened? Sodom and Gomorrah, it said, had given themselves over to sexual immorality, gone after strange flesh, and are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. What he's saying here is they defile the flesh just like Sodom and Gomorrah, and guess what? The consequences are going to be the same. Not only do they defile the flesh, look at the next words. It says they reject authority. False teachers don't like to be accountable to anybody. That's another thing. If you see someone teaching and there's no accountability, run. Amen? All the cult leaders out there have a bunch of people that follow them blindly and nobody holds them accountable. We need accountability. Amen? I want accountability. We need those who hold us. This is what the Word says. That is the authority in our lives. You know why they rejected authority? Because they wanted to be the authority. And every one of us, let's be honest, we struggle letting go of the throne of our lives. It's a daily battle, isn't it? We want to be on the throne. I want to decide for myself. You know, don't we live in a society today, especially here in Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, that says, you know, question authority, right? Don't let anybody tell you what to do. You got your own mind. It's up to you. You, you know, you stand up for yourself. Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says deny self. That's not real popular today, is it? I don't see very many bumper stickers that say deny self. I see a question of authority all day long. No deny self. Amen? We need some deny self stickers. We need some die to self stickers. We need some filled up with the Holy Spirit stickers. Amen? And sadly, what we see instead is question authority because man, since the beginning of time, is wanted not God's will, but my will. Not his way, but my way. And they reject authority. And our culture today encourages the rejection of authority and the recognition of self as the only authority in our lives. Again, making self the only real authority in my life. We can do this several ways. First of all, by choosing to only believe certain passages in the Bible. That's you saying you know better than God. You know, I, I, you know, I go for this part. Yeah, the hell. No, not some heaven. Yeah, like heaven. Heaven's good. Let's keep that page. You know what I mean? And you know, you think I'm being funny, but that's reality. That's what's happening today. I've told you about the Jesus seminar. This has got to be, you know, if you've been here before, I'm direct. So here it comes. The stupidest bunch of people on the planet. Can you imagine getting beads out and deciding to vote on whether or not Jesus really said something that's in the Bible? Let me save you some time. He said it. Amen. So what they did is they voted on stuff. Well, I don't like that. That doesn't sound like the tone he... No, I say no. And they're just like lining stuff out of the Bible. They're called the Jesus Seminar. They ought to be called the No Jesus Seminar. Amen? But here's the reality, guys. That's why we cannot listen to what men say. The Word of God is the authority, and we must stand upon it. And so we see this making self the authority. We can start to choose to believe certain passages of the Bible and put some away. We can also choose... You know, salad bar religion, I call it. I'll take a little bit from this faith and a little bit from this one and a little bit from that one and put them all in my plate and I got my own religion. You know, I, I don't know why I do this to myself. I'm flipping through the channels and, on, on, and I'm just going to say it because I just do. So it was, it was on the public television channel and ever heard of his name Deepak Chopra or something like that? Him and the Unity Reverend were on there talking about the third Jesus And the Jesus consciousness. And then they started to talk about how you, you know, you, we, get, we get so much from all the faiths. You get a little from the Buddhists, and you get a little bit from this, and you get a little bit from that. And there's good from all of them, and you bring them all together, and then you find out you're God. Well, uh, let me think about that. No, you're not. Amen? And the point is this. It's so stupid. I mean, how, again, maybe they're the stupidest people. Here's the point. Here's the point. How can you say that all religions are true when one says you're reincarnated? And another one says that you become an essence or, you know, you just, you're trying to reach nirvana. And then another one says that you can only be saved through Muhammad. And then another one said, but then Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. How can those be equally true? They can't. Any logical person would say, but yet, it just sounds so accepting, doesn't it? We just accept all religions. You know what that's saying? We mix lies with the truth, which makes it all a lie. Amen? And so our heart needs to be to stand up for the truth. 
We, guys, we can also do it not only by choosing to pick portions of the Bible or different religions and put them together, a little from here, a little from there. We can do it by our lifestyle and our own rules and not recognizing the authorities that God has placed over us. Rejection of authority. If you're here today, it's Father's Day. You're blessed to have a dad. Here's the reality. Your dad has authority in your life. We have a government. We don't always agree with them. Amen? But God allowed them to be there to have authority in our life. Amen? We as Christians don't pick and choose which authorities we recognize. We only go against those authorities if they contradict the Bible. If they don't contradict the Bible, then you pay your taxes. You might not agree to pay them anyway. Amen? We submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. These false teachers and their followers rejected the authority of God, just as the fallen angels who were cast out of heaven rejected the authority of God. You and I need to be submitted to God Almighty first and foremost, to the employer, to our parents, to uh, those in the church that God has given authority over our lives, we submit to them as an act of love because we trust that God put them in our lives for a reason. Amen? So these false teachers, they've lost their way of the truth. They've defiled the flesh like Sodom. They've rejected authority like the fallen angels. And then it says they speak evil of dignitaries. The word speak evil there in the original language is blaspheme. So they're blasphemers. They speak evil. It says in Psalm with our in Psalms 12, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is the Lord over us? The rejection of God's authority will be seen in our actions. We defile the flesh, and then it's heard in our words. We speak it. So we see it in our actions, and then it's heard in our words. The Bible says, out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. You want to know what's in somebody's heart? Listen to what comes out of their mouth. And words don't, you know, slip out. They pour out from your heart. Amen? Well, that word slipped out. No, it didn't. It came from right here. Ouch. Guys, if we've got stuff coming out of our mouth that shouldn't be, it's because our heart is where it shouldn't be. Amen? A person blasphemes God when they take his word too lightly, when they add to or take away from his word, when they uh, deliberately disobey his word. False teachers are walking around. These guys are walking around according to their own truth. They defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they speak evil of dignitaries. They blaspheme those that God has given authority over their lives in a spiritual sense. So note the clear contrast between the blasphemous speech of the false teachers and the speech of Michael in the next verse. Look what it says. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, how many archangels are there? One. How many devils are there? One. Guess what? This is the ultimate you know, spiritual rumble right here. You've got the archangel and the devil. Now, if anybody's the opposite of the devil, it's not God because God's greater. It might be, it would be maybe the closest thing would be Michael the archangel. And so we see here that we know from scripture that when Moses died, that God carried his body away and buried him where nobody knew where he would be buried. And there's a very good reason for that. Because you know what the people would have done if they knew where he was buried? They would have probably put a big shrine on there, right? And they would have been over there worshiping at the shrine of Moses. And so God knew, a bad idea. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bury him where nobody knows where he is. Well, we see here there was a contention over his body between Michael the archangel and the devil. What did the devil want to do with Moses' body? Maybe bring it right to him so they could set up a shrine. I'm not sure, but we see here that this battle took place. But here's what I want you to notice. More important than what they were fighting about is how Michael dealt with the devil. And maybe you're here this morning and you need to hear this because can I tell you in Scripture, nowhere do we see Christians arguing with or fighting with or talking to the devil. Amen? But you hear people pray that way all the time, don't you? Now, devil, we, hey, whoa. How about this? Lord, take care of him. Amen? 
This is exactly what happens in this verse. Michael says, he didn't revile him. He didn't come against him with an accusation. Here's what he said, the Lord rebuke you. Guys, if Satan comes and rings your doorbell, let Jesus answer the door. Amen? He can tempt you, but he can't make you do anything. He can try to draw you away. He can't possess you. He can't do anything to you unless the Lord allows it. So sometimes, you know, we see the devil under every rock, and certainly it's a spiritual battle that we fight. But guys, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we don't have to walk around and pray to the devil all the time. At the same time, I don't need to be having conversations with him. I just assume he passed me on by. Amen? And if he wants to hang out, Lord, get him. Amen? Because I'll fail. Now, again, greater is he that is in us, but at the same time, with that being said, I, I don't need to be battling with him because he will tear me up. He knows our weaknesses, doesn't he? You know, it may not be the devil himself, but certainly he sends temptation to us, and he knows what to tempt us with. He knows when we'll fail. As Christians, we should learn from Michael's example. Don't argue with, contend with, or even address Satan. Let Jesus take care of him. If Michael, the archangel, did that, how much more should you and I do that? Amen? Now, let me say this as a quick side note. As Christians, we should give no place for the devil in our house. And here's some, here's some ways he comes in. And some people are like, you guys believe in the devil? Yes. Yes. Do we think much of him? No. But yet, we do believe in that he exists. Amen? Because the Bible says so. Amen? Now, here's some ways that the enemy gets in our home. Sorcery. Uh, psychics, fortune tellers, games, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, things like that. People, oh man, come on, you're blowing things out of proportion. No, no, we're not. Drugs and alcohol. You know, the word for sorcery in the Bible is pharmakia, where we get the word pharmaceuticals. And it's amazing how many people I've talked to that are struggling with drugs who tell me all about these trips they had and they saw God. I'm like, no, you didn't. Well, there was all these lights. Well, that wasn't God. Let me just tell you. And the end, here's the point, that the enemy wants to find a foothold in our homes. And you know what? My, our, I'm sure like many houses here, our theme verse of my house is Joshua 24, 50. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so we need to make a stand and say, you know what? That's not of God. Let's not have it here. If it doesn't edify God, let's remove it. Amen? And so... The exhortation is, let's give no place to the devil, but let's not take time addressing him. Let God take care of him. It frustrates me when I hear people praying and talking to the devil. Stop. Let's talk to the Lord, amen? Let's talk to Almighty God. How about that? Let's not waste our time dealing with the enemy. One last thing. This proves that Michael is not Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that Michael is Jesus, and Jesus is Michael. Well, Jesus rebuked Satan himself, and Satan fled, right? Michael doesn't do that. He says, Lord, get him. That shows you Michael's not Jesus, amen? Just in case you need another verse, there it is. All right, verse 10. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts. In those things, they corrupt themselves. Here's what he says of these false teachers. They're ignorant. They speak about things they don't know. You know why they don't know? They don't have the Holy Spirit. So when they teach something without the authority of the Holy Spirit, they're teaching something they don't know. Have you ever seen a guy on TV and go, dude, what is he talking about? Yeah, you know why? He doesn't know. Amen? Just because, again, they're on TV, just because they knock at your door and they have some kind of Christian logo, just because they say they're Christians doesn't mean that they are. Jude says they're ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about. What they do know is fleshly. They're like animals who are slaves to their fleshly desires, bringing destruction upon themselves. False teachers, so typical of, of fallen man, claim to have special knowledge when they, that they alone get it, and the truth is they don't get it at all. Now, I'm not saying that to be arrogant. Oh, we get it. They don't. Here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is apart from the Holy Spirit, we don't get it. It's because the Spirit of the living God lives inside of us. How many of you read the Bible before you were saved and it didn't make a lick of sense to you? You read it and you're like, I don't get it. I read that, I don't get it. I've read the Bible with people who aren't saved and they don't get it. I'm reading, you know, read, I read Isaiah 53 to a Jewish person sometimes. 
If you don't see the cross there, you're blind. Well, guess what? You read it and they go, I, I don't see that there. What are you? Lift it up, pierced his hand. What? You read Psalm 22. I don't see it. You know why? Spiritually blind. Guys, that's what's happening with these false teachers. They're teaching something they don't know because they're walking in the flesh and they don't have the Holy Spirit. So don't be surprised when someone who know, doesn't know God acts like they don't know God. Amen? Somebody who doesn't know God who's trying to teach about God and it sounds like nonsense, it's because it is. But that's one of the things the enemy loves to use to try to draw us away from the truth. Now notice some of the patterns that they followed after these false teachers. It says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Woe to them. This, the word woe there means a wail of grief or denunciation. It's an anticipation of coming judgment. He says, Woe to them, because judgment's coming. Because they've gone the way of Cain. Now the way of Cain, what was the way of Cain? Cain, Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were instructed by God how to approach him. And they were told they had to come by faith and they had to bring a blood sacrifice. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no covering for sin. Where do you see the first shedding of blood in the Bible? After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it says they knew they were naked. And what does it say? That God slayed animals and covered them up with animal skins. The shedding of blood for the covering of sin. It goes all the way back to Genesis, the very beginning. So they come to bring their sacrifice, but Cain decides, I'm going to approach God the way I want to approach God. God told me how he wants me to approach him, but you know what? I'm not a you know, a shepherd or a cattle herder like my brother. I'm a farmer. So instead, I'm going to bring some vegetables to God. And I'm going to bring them, not with the right heart, not in faith. I'm just going to bring them and say, hey, that's what I got. That's how I'm coming. There it is. Guys, he's God. He makes the rules. Amen? We've all had this. I've had this discussion many, many times. Well, I kind of come to God my own way. I mean, God got an understanding. My church is uh, at the hook. You know, I, I get up every morning early and go out there and surf with God. I mean, you know, I've heard, I, you know, he's on the, he said, you know, right out there at De La Viega, man. I mean, me and God, we're hanging out. That's my chapel out there. You know, hey, uh, not so much. Nice try. Amen. Guys, there's only one way we can come to the Father, and that's through the Son. And it's only through his shed blood that we can be saved. And we don't tell God, well, Cain was the first one to say, I come to God the way I want to. I'm coming with vegetables. <laughs> See, that's why you ought to eat meat. I don't care what you say. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. Hey, it, it, every time there's a sacrifice, not every time, but many times in Scripture you hear him say it's a sweet-smelling aroma in the presence of God. God loves the smell of barbecue. I don't care what anybody says. It's truth. Okay, You know what? It's arrogance and pride to say, I can come to God my way. Isn't it? It's me saying, okay, God, I see what you say. I'm doing it my way. Cain came his own way. Well, guess what? His sacrifice was not accepted by God. And because it wasn't accepted, he got prideful and he got angry and he got envious of his brother and that became murder. Here's what he's saying. These false teachers have gone the way of Cain. They're trying to come to God on their own terms, their own way. Guys, we don't come to God our own terms, our own way. We come to God His way. Amen? And Jesus is indeed the only way. So the way of Cain is one of the ways the false teachers came, following, again, not what the Word of God says, but following their own path. Again, back to that show I watched on, on the public television channel. If you, if you contribute to that, you ought to think twice. Because if they're promoting that kind of stuff, not so much. Amen? Pastor Dave getting political now. Not supposed to do that. Could be in trouble. Well, here's the thing, guys. It's not only the way of Cain and coming to God on our own terms, but then he says this. They've also run the error of Balaam. Now, you guys remember Balaam. Balaam was a prophet. You know, Cain was a farmer. Balaam was a prophet. And what happened was, the children of Israel, God's hand was upon them, and they had just wiped out the Amorites, and they're marching toward Moab. 
They were not going to go in and invade Moab, but the king of Moab was afraid that they were. And so he calls for Balaam and says, hey, I'll give you some money if you'll stand up on the you know, cliffs and look down and curse them for me. Just curse your own people. I'll give you some money. Now, the first time they came, you know, God told him, don't go, and he, and he didn't go. Well, then they came back again and offered him more money and more stuff. And then Balaam said, well, you know, I, just, I could throw one curse down. I mean, well, you know. Let's... And so he went up there four times to curse them, but every time he opened his mouth, he was unable to curse them. He was only able to pronounce blessings upon them. Because you can't curse God's people. God is, the, is in charge of his people. And so what happened was, he gets up there and he tries to speak, and, the word, and then, you know, the guy's, Balak's trying to say, what are you doing, man? I told you to curse him. You keep blessing him. I'll give you more stuff. I'll give you more money. If you remember, he was on his way to the last one, and he was on a donkey. You guys remember this? He's riding on a donkey, and an angel is standing in the way. And he doesn't see the angel, but the donkey does. And he keeps whipping the donkey to get going, right? And he's banging against the sides of the rocks, going, I'm not going anywhere. Finally, the donkey drops to the ground. He starts beating the donkey. The donkey turns around and says, Dude, do you not see the angel? It's in the Bible. And here's the scary part. He starts arguing with the donkey. Balaam. And so what does Balaam do? Balaam says, okay, well, I can't curse him, but I can tell you how to get to him. Here's what you should do. Send some of your really pretty young women down there. Have them take some idols with them. Have them entice the young men to sleep with them. And then have them make it a part of their worship to this false idol. And you know what's going to happen? God is going to be angry at them, and then God will bring judgment upon them, and you won't have to. And that's exactly what happened. 24,000 children of Israel were wiped out because of this. Why? Because Balaam was more worried about making money than honoring God. Guys, you have the, you have the, the trap of following the way of Cain, coming to God your own way. Another one is being greedy in the way you come to God. Coming to God, seeking your own personal gain as opposed to honoring Him. Balaam was guilty of the greatest of sins, leading others into sin and doing it for money. Tragic. So here's what he's saying. These false teachers, they, they try to bring people to God their own way, and they also lead people away from God so that they can profit themselves. Now, tell me that's not a lot of Christian television today. Amen? If I see, I mean, God is so patient. Amen? You see some of these guys on TV saying, just send me a $1,000 seed offering. God just told me right now as I was praying that somebody out there, you're, you're filing bankruptcy, you have no money, but I want you to sell your car and get $1,000 and send it to me so I can release my anointing of financial blessing upon you. I want to shoot my television. Doesn't that just grip your heart? Who's this guy, who's this guy speaking for himself? It's all about him. He's gone the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam. Finally, the, not only the error of Balaam, but the rebellion of Korah. They perished in the rebellion of Korah. Who was Korah? Number 16, Korah was a prominent Levite. And Korah went to Moses and Aaron and said, you know, who do you guys think you are? That's Pastor Day paraphrase, okay? Because he didn't say exactly that, but kind of like that. He said, who do you guys think you are that you are in charge? You know, everyone in Israel is just as holy as you. And you know what? I think you need to let me be in charge for a while. And when he said that, Moses falls on his face and starts to pray because he knows judgment's coming. And so God calls them to bring censers with incense and they come out and stand out and they're going to let God judge who should be in charge, Korah or Moses. How do you think this is going to end? And so God tells Moses to step back read numbers it's in the bible and he steps back and god opens up the ground and swallows korah and all the people who are with him um, i'm thinking you don't want to question who god puts in charge amen you're questioning god then 
And that's exactly what happens. It's that self-centeredness that says, I'm not going to submit to the authority God has placed there. I should be in charge. I should be on the throne. If that's not bad enough, the rest of those who were his followers, who weren't necessarily there at that moment, God brought fire down from heaven and smoked the rest of them. Uh, the whole touch, not the anointing. I'm thinking, yeah, let's not do that. And so the, you have the way of Cain, you have the error of Balaam, and now you have the rebellion of Korah. This is the false teachers. He's describing their hearts. I come to God the way I want to. I come bring people and drive them away from God for my own personal benefit. And then finally, I can be one of those who says, you know what, I should be in charge. Who is God to say he's on the most high? The rebellion of Korah. Notice, Cain was a farmer, Balaam was a prophet, and Korah was a Levite. You know what? Apostasy can come from anywhere. I need to be very, very careful. Finally, second point. We see the characteristics of a false teacher. Now they're common self-centeredness. We're going to go through this fairly quickly. Look at verse 12. Speaking of the false teachers, these are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Here's what these false teachers do. A love feast. You know what that is? It's an agape feast. Where do you think we got that? You know the agape feast we're having today? Usually we have it the same day we have communion. We're going to do communion next week because we're having a wedding today. But we got it from the Bible. They would have communion and then follow it up with a love feast, which was called an agape feast. Agape is a word for love in Greek. So we have agape feast the same way. But what he's saying is these guys, they go to the agape feast, and instead of bringing food, instead of blessing others, they go there and they feed themselves full. They think only of themselves. These false teachers are self-centered. It's all about them. You know, a few things more grieving than to see a self-centered Christian. Amen? As Christians, we're supposed to be other-centered, right? You've heard the acronym JOY. Jesus, others, yourself, right? Most of us, some of us have YOGE. Amen? You're putting yourself first. Guys, it's Jesus, then others, then yourself, and then you'll have joy. And sadly, we see that these self-centered people, there's spots in your love feast. Like, they're just taking up space. They feast with you. There's no fear of God. They serve only themselves. Then it says, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Can I tell you that a cloud without water is good for nothing? You know what it is? It's like they promise something, but they give you nothing. You know what? A cloud that doesn't bring rain is only there for itself. The only thing it does is block the sun. Amen? And guess what? These guys block the S-O-N. And they're not bringing anything of value. That's what these false teachers are like. It says there that they are late autumn trees without fruit. Late autumn, you should be bearing some fruit right about now. And instead, you heard me say it last week, you got a tree with no fruit, you got a stick, right? You got a tree that sits there. Where's the fruit? They bear no fruit. They produce nothing of value. That's these false teachers. And then it says there, without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. These false teachers bear no fruit. Verse 13, raging waves of the sea, foaming up to their own, to their own shame. Now listen, raging waves of the sea, I know we got a lot of surfers in here, and you guys are like, hey, big swell, that's pretty sweet. Hey, in those days, there were no surfers, at least that I know about, and Big waves, not good. Big waves just made the sea a terror to them. When they would try to travel, they were always concerned about storms coming up. And at the end of a storm, what's left is a beach filled with debris. And what he's saying is that's what these guys are like. They make a bunch of noise, and all they leave behind is a bunch of garbage. They're just raging waves that produce nothing good. And they leave behind driftwood, which for Mike Hofer is, you know, your palate for art. But everyone else, you know, it's garbage. And so that's what he's saying. It's a raging wave and a raging sea. The Bible says in Isaiah, But the wicked are like a troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters come up mire and dirt, storms that produce d- destruction and disease. And that's exactly what these false teachers do. And then it says this, Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. A wandering star is like a comet that blows through the sky. You know, a comet that blows through the sky for a moment 
brings light. And for a moment, it's something to look at, but it quickly dies out and then it's of no value anymore. And these false teachers, they can come on the scene and they can shine brightly for a moment, but in the end, they produce nothing good. You know what? A wandering star, you cannot use it as a, a way to guide yourself. You know, you use a star and a compass and they, you, could guide, you can't guide yourself by a wandering star. These guys were not anything we could follow. They were not anyone that could lead anybody in the right direction. They were flashes in the pan. They were no value. That's what these false teachers were. And then it says... And their punishment is what? They're reserved for blackness of darkness forever. How long is forever? It's a long time. Amen? If you didn't know it, you're going to be dead a lot longer than you're alive. And it's not even close. Amen? And the reality is that where we spend eternity should be of utmost importance in our hearts. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And these false teachers... For a moment, they may gain wealth, they may fool people, they may even have some fame and some notoriety, but in the end, the judgment is going to be heavy. Finally, let's take a look. Their coming judgment, verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, of all their harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch was the seventh from Adam. Enoch was a man who walked with God for 300 years, and he walked with God in such a way that God took him. How powerful is that? You're so close with God, he just says, you know, come on home, I'm not going to die, let me just take you. That was Enoch. And what's interesting, Enoch lived in one of the most ungodly times in the history of the world, and yet he was a man who walked with God, and Enoch didn't have one word of the Bible. Think about that. But he had intimate fellowship with God. Enoch walked with God. He was a man who loved God. It says in Hebrews, but by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. It was not found because God had taken him, for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. God. Is there a better testimony than that? Pleased God. Guys, that's what we ought to be aiming for, amen? Not popular with men, but pleased God. After Adam and Eve sinned, there was destruction upon the earth, and creation was no longer perfect, and sin and death and pain and wars and starvation and disease all came from sin. But seven generations later, we have a man who's walking in the center of God's will. And he pronounces that God is going to bring righteous judgment. Now, Enoch spoke just before the flood came. But the judgment he's talking about here when he sends the angels is yet to come. It's the second coming. It's the rapture of the church. Amen? Aren't you glad? Are you looking forward to that? Well, the Lord is coming back. And he's going to come back and he's going to bring righteous judgment. Now, we should not, if you're here on Wednesday night, we talked about this. We should not take delight that anyone is going to face righteous judgment. Amen? No matter how mean they are to you, no matter how much you think they deserve it, there before the grace of God goes every single one of us. Amen? And so we should be crying out on behalf of those that don't know God, interceding that they would come to know him. But he tells them that all of them, he's going to bring judgment upon all of them. Not some of them, all of them. God removes Enoch before he brings the flood, a picture of the rapture. And now he speaks to them of the judgment that is coming upon these false teachers. He's not going to send a flood or a famine, but he's going to bring justice himself. He's going to come. He came into Jerusalem the first time riding a donkey. He's coming the next time on a white horse. A donkey is an animal of peace. A white horse is an animal of war or justice. Their final judgment is coming. So these false teachers that think they're getting away with it. And again, I have to really catch myself because it's hard. When I see these guys fleecing people for money in Christ's name, you know, I want to just say, Lord, smoke them. But that's not Christ-like, is it? Lord, promise me to say, Lord, save them. Amen? Let them come to know you. Let them be born again so they go from teaching a lie to teaching the truth. Those who attempt to come to God their own way, like Cain, 
Those who lead others in sin in pursuit of personal gain, like Balaam. Those who reject and seek to usurp God, God's give, the God-given authority over them, like Korah, are going to face righteous judgment. And next week, we're going to look at some of the traits of the ungodly. So, in closing, recognizing false teachers. We've seen their characteristics. We've seen the, their heart. We've seen what their focus and their aim is. We've seen that they have something in common. They're all very self-centered. And we've seen that there is coming judgment. And again, our heart ought to be not to uh, reap judgment upon them, but to be praying for them. Can I encourage you with something? God's been putting this on my heart. When we move to the new building, here's the word that God has put on my heart, and it's heavy on my heart, discipleship. And God did not call us to make converts, but to make disciples. Amen? Can I encourage you? I'm going to ask you a question. You pray about Who are you discipling right now? If you're not, pray about discipling somebody. I'd also ask you another question. Who's discipling you right now? The answer is nobody. Seek out somebody to disciple you. Why is this important? Because these false teachers are going to keep coming. Amen? And the only way we're going to be able to recognize the lie is to know the truth. And we can study ourselves, and we absolutely should do that, but there's something awesome about brothers and sisters coming together, ministering one to another. Something great about someone who's more spiritually mature, spending time investing in your life. I'm glad that people did it in mine. One of them is my dad who's here. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Amen. And you know what? Start with your own family. Begin there. Let's make disciples. So, Here's the good news. There's false teachers all around us. There's an enemy who's a roaring lion seeking who may devour. But the good news is greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And guys, we're going to heaven and Satan can't stop it. Amen? And so our heart ought to be, let's proclaim the truth. Let's not be ashamed of him as he's not ashamed of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. And Lord, I know, especially if someone's new this morning, this text is very exhortive and pretty heavy. But Lord, you put it in the Bible for a reason. You brought us here this morning, not by chance, but by divine appointment. And so we ask in Jesus' name that you would help us not to just be sheep who feed on your word, but those who would leave here impacted by it and giving it away to others. Lord, I pray right now as we go to this wedding time, what a joy. What an awesome blessing, Lord, to see the very picture of Christ in the church. Lord, I just thank you for just the way you've brought these two precious people together, and now they're going to leave here not as two, but as one. So Lord, be glorified in everything that happens here. We look forward to watching your hand in this, in this wedding. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. All right. The wedding's going to take place in a couple of minutes. If, I know it's Father's Day. If some of you need to leave, we understand. Go ahead and leave. They would love for you to stay, because... This is celebration, amen? And we're all family. And the agape feast is also going to be a wedding reception. So I would love for you to be able to hang out if you can. And so uh, where is my dad? My dad's doing the wedding, so. All right, God bless you guys.